Lord, we do agree with all those prayers desiring that you would, in fact, work amongst us to accomplish what you desire in each of us as we're all in different places and circumstances that you would uh, take all of those things and mesh it with your word so that we may, as was prayed, uh, know how to respond to every situation that you present before us. We desire that your word come alive, that our minds not be distracted, that we would be able to concentrate and understand this morning. Commit our time in Jesus' name. Let's take a look at the book of Romans again this morning. And as I just mentioned a while ago, we're looking at the very end of chapter 5. I see it transitioning into that whole area of Christian walk, principles relating to how do we live once we have justification. And I believe that chapter 6, 7, and 8 are the most important passages in all of the Bible laying out these principles for how to live the Christian life. Once we are inwardly regenerated, that's what we've already been talking about, Paul uses the word justified, even begins in chapter 5, verse 1, having been justified. In other words, he's addressing the situation of somebody that has already experienced that conversion, that inward conversion. We call it regeneration. We call it salvation. Jesus calls it born again. Paul uses the word justification, kind of a legal Idea. In fact, the legal idea runs throughout the book of Romans. So, having been justified, now how do we convert our experience, or how do we move from that old way of life and into this new way of living? And 6, 7, and 8 lay out those principles for us. In a lot of ways, they're very, very simple. Much like what it takes to trust in Jesus Christ, it's very simple. We just simply trust in what he did on the cross, recognizing that there's nothing that we can do to earn that justification, that salvation. It's apart from works, apart from the law, apart from anything within us. It's so simple that people can't do it. Too simple. Too easy. It's not easy. Simple, but not easy. Oh, it's simple, but not easy. A price has to be paid. A price, yes, exactly. A price has to be paid, exactly. A high price, exactly. So it's hard to see. Thanks for the correction. So it is simple, however, to receive it. But as Linda points out, it took all of eternity to pay the penalty in Christ Jesus. Similarly, the principles are very similar in terms of living the Christian life, but you have to have certain understanding. In fact, in chapter 3, if you jump ahead, notice what it says, or do you not know, in other words, he proposes kind of a misconception in verse 1, he answers it in verse 2, and now he's going to expand upon it in verse 3, and he says, Or do you not know? In other words, do you not know these basic principles? I meant chapter 6. That's why we have a secondary box. (laughs) So now it's your turn. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, 6-3. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, and he's going to lay it out, 
right there. It's all right there. And then he's going to expand upon it. Chapter 7, I'll give you kind of an overview when we actually get into the passage. Chapter 7 shows the pitfalls or the things that get in the way so that there's still the possibility of living that way of life that Christ has dealt with. In other words, the old life. So a believer that is regenerated has two capacities. He has two natures, you might even say. One that is regenerated and one that is remaining in a, in the same condition as it was before we were believers. So we have the potential to live both ways. And the, the key is learning how to overcome that old way of living. And it takes a lifetime. It's not going to happen overnight. So let's take a look at the passage 18 through 21. And let's see if we can make some headway there. And if we don't complete it, we always have next week, unless Lord returns. Major subdivisions, condemnation. The unbeliever needs to understand that they are condemned before a holy God and there's nothing they can do about it. Paul is expanding a little bit on it, even here in chapter 5, because you can't change what happened in terms of Adam and Eve. We are imputed because we are descendants of them, just like you impute to your children blue eyes or brown eyes or brown hair or red hair or whatever. You impute that to them genetically in a similar way we receive from Adam condemnation. That alone is enough to condemn us. That's what one of the points Paul's making here. But on top of that, we sin as well. So that even adds to that condemnation. That adds to that separation, if you can even conceive of that. And Christ is the only one that has solved that. So that's justification. So we have to trust in what he did, because even our best efforts are like filthy rags. Now, Paul uses different language than Isaiah, but he's talking about the same thing. He says there is no no righteousness in us apart from Christ. And there's not even one excluding Christ, obviously. So justification, we're getting close to the end of that. And then we'll talk about what Paul describes or some translations translate a key word in there, sanctification. Justification, we are declared righteous. In other words, God looks at the believer, the regenerated person, as if he had never sinned because that sin is wiped away. It is forgiven. When we trust in Christ, we receive that forgiveness. And we are also given a plus. We are declared and put into our account, you might say, our spiritual account, Righteousness. So when God views us, he views us in Christ as if we experienced the same thing that Christ did on the cross. He's going to talk some more about that in chapter 6. In fact, we're going to look at that because it relates to the walk as well. So justification is being declared righteous. Sanctification is a lifelong process of growing in righteousness. If you look at the very bottom of your sheet, your outline sheet, that's how I describe sanctification. It's also by faith, 
but it's a process of growing in righteousness. So we become more and more Christ-like. That's what the Christian life is all about. And like I said, it's a slow process, sometimes a painful process. Sometimes you backtrack and you have to take two steps forward and take a step back. And But it's it's a lifelong struggle. But the more consistent we can become, the more not only fruitful, but encouraging it is to, it is to us. So that's sanctification. So we're in the little passage that transitions from justification to sanctification. I still, on the outline, put it under justification, 1 through 11, kind of motivational to encourage us. This is what we get, having been justified. That's verse 1. We have peace with God. So if you don't have peace with God, you probably don't have justification. In other words, if you're inwardly always in turmoil, then you don't have peace with God. And all the other things that he describes in there. And this is even in the midst of tribulation. In fact, a Christian does not escape it. We saw that in that portion as well. But we have a new way of handling it if we avail ourselves of it. And then the passage 12 to 21 He's describing this contrast. And eventually he's going to get to this reign. He begins the first part of it, the reign of sin and death that all of us are under, which is vivid and evident and has been seen ever since in history, ever since Adam and Eve. There's a reign, and he uses that word very specifically. We'll talk some more about that. It's like a rulership. It's just an everyday word. It doesn't have any special meaning. It has the idea of what a king does or what a ruler does. They rule, they administer, they control. And in the case of sin and death, it's like a dictator. You don't have any other options if you're not regenerated. So it's a reign of sin and death. There's no other option. That's the major barrier to coming into a relationship, but it's also the major barrier in terms of living the Christian life but there's hope because there's also the possibility of the reign of grace. Same word that he uses in verse 21, a rulership. It's possible to be under the rulership of a new power, you might say. And that's what 6, 7, and 8 describe is how do you move from one to the other. In fact, you might notice in chapter 6, if you read chapter 6, he changes metaphors slightly because it's still the same idea from reigning like what a king does, looking at it more subjectively. He talks about being a slave to sin as opposed to being a slave to righteousness. Same concept. And how do you move from one to the other? It's a gradual process, but possibility is there. Mary Lee? I just did a, a real quick word search because I've struggled with what does imputed mean. And it simply means that you're assigned a value. Yep. It's an accounting term, a yeah, mathematical just, term. Given a, you're just given a value. Okay, so in this class, you're, we have number one, number two, and number, number three. three yeah. <laughs> you know, they've just been given values. That's the right. The rest of us are peons. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yep, exactly. Christ died just for the imputation for all of us. All sin. All sin. Yep. Okay. I keep emphasizing this because this is very important because we're going to move from one stage in our relationship to God to the other one, the everyday, 
And most believers, I would say, don't understand these concepts. We'll talk about some of the other ways of trying to live the Christian life. In fact, the majority of Christendom are similar in terms of sanctification. They have a works-based sanctification as well, which is unbiblical. Connie, you had a comment? Why did you mention slavery? I thought that was such a good image because if a slave is purchased by another owner, they are now under the reign of the new owner. New ownership. They don't exactly know this owner as well as they knew the last owner. That's right. So they take time getting to know their new master's desires. And new ways of living under that new rulership. Exactly. So the word reign is very appropriate. And you can think of it more as a metaphor. Think in terms of the idea of somebody dominating or ruling, just like you would in a government. It's the same concept, except it's a spiritual, theological concept. Okay? So we're in 12 to 21. It's the powerful reign that comes from justification. In other words, that is essential first. No one can live the Christian life apart from first being regenerated. A lot of people try, but it's a failure. It's a failure from God's perspective, and oftentimes it's very evident as well, even as you observe it. So there's a powerful reign, and what I'm getting at is where the passage is moving towards. It's moving towards verse 21, where it talks about the reign of grace. What is dominating is this reign of death, and he's going to make the point through one In other words, all it took is one disobedience in terms of God, and that plunged all of humanity. This is the way God set up the universe, plunged all of humanity into this condition of deadness. So it's a devastating reign, that's verse 12. Devastating reign of death. We see the entrance of it, first part of verse 12. And I've been emphasizing, therefore, just as this is true, therefore, through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. In other words, this downward spiral, and you see it historically. The first son became what? The first murderer. So it's a downward spiral, starting with Adam. That's the point of the passage. But then he kind of says, well, I need to kind of elaborate a little bit more. I need to kind of expand this so that I'm crystal clear. So there's a couple of dashes there. It's not really parenthetical. It just kind of adds to what he said. And he's not going to pick it up until he gets to verse 18. And that's where we're at today. So then, now he summarizes 12 through 17. As through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Kind of a summary of what he said in that passage. Now he's going to pick up, even so. So if you go back to verse 12, just as something is true, now in verse 18, even so, this is also true. Kind of the counterpart to it. And he continues in the contrast there. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. In other words, justification, and we'll talk a little bit more about that because it's a little bit different than what we've seen before. He's transitioning. What is this justification of life? We'll talk about that. But we need to finish up what we looked at last time. We'll go back to verse 17. 
So we talked about this just as something is true that starts in 12, and then he's going to elaborate some more, 13 through 17. 14 is for, in other words, he's expanding, he's giving further explanation. And then 15 through 17, where we left off, he's going to contrast that. So he's already going to begin talking about this rain, this different rain. So he's going to give a contrast there. And that contrast is the contrast of reigns or rulership. 15 through 17, we looked at 15, but the free gift is not like the transgression. There's a difference, radical difference. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. It's a greater work that Christ accomplished. It abounded to cover not only the negative, which we've seen as a drastic negative, but it even restores beyond, not immediately, but it restores beyond Adam and Eve even, I believe. So we saw the contrast. The main contrast is transgression of one, many died. The alternative in that verse 15, the grace of one, clear contrast, the grace of one resulted in many abounding. Verse 15, and then 16, the gift is not, he said again, he's contrasting, the gift is not, this gift of righteousness is not like that which came through the one, keep emphasizing the one, Adam, who sinned, for on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, that just one violation, one disobedience, gives us a picture of a holy God that cannot, de- or cannot abide by one sin. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, notice the emphasis again, resulting in condemnation. And remember I said uh, that word condemnation, this is the sentence worked out. It's more than, uh, remember the, the two words we contrasted last time, crema. Crema is judgment. And I use the analogy in a courtroom, the judge says you are guilty. The jury has come in, and the jury says all of the evidence points to you being guilty. That's judgment. And then they separate out that pronouncement from what in the court? The sentencing to whatever the penalty is. And that's kata prima, and that's the word condemnation. In other words, this is now the sentence, and the sentence is now you are under the dictatorship or the rulership of sin with its consequences, which are death. All right? But, on the other hand, here's the contrast. On the other hand, the free gift that comes from the one, Jesus Christ, arose from many transgressions. In other words, now we have the accumulation of all of humanity. Thousands of years of sin and death. Many transgressions resulting in, now the word here is slightly different. Remember I made the point there last week as well. It's not the same ikayao, it's not the verb form. It actually has the idea and could be translated righteous act. It's talking about actions now resulting in the product of the life. He's transitioning from justification to living the life. It doesn't seem fair that you can't refuse, that you don't have any choice about that judgment, and then you do have a choice about receiving a gift. Yes. Now that, That's a good point, though. God doesn't want to say to Linda, you are forced to love me. 
You are forced to be part of my family. Right. He wants Linda to say, Linda, do you like it the way you're living under sin and death? And most of us would say, yeah. Then you have a choice. You can trust in me to get out of it, or you can ignore me and continue living under the reign or the dictatorship. In fact, most believers don't realize that dictatorship unless they get into an addictive situation, but most believers are oblivious to it. But it results in justification. God gave mankind volition, and he didn't want to force anyone to trust in him. Even Adam and Eve, that's why Adam and Eve had a test, you might say, or a choice. And by the way, that justification, remember last time I just stressed the the similarity in words, the idea, the noun for righteous, dikaios, there's the, the, what is it, adjective for righteousness, or the condition of being righteous. And what I wanted you to see is the similarity of words, dikaios, dikaiosune, same root, same idea, this right standing before God. And then you have the verb form, dikaio, in the English, it uses a radically different word. It could be translated to justify, or this is where we get the word justification, but it's the same Greek word. It's dikaiao, this idea of righteousness. And what we've looked at so far, justification is to declare, the verb form, to declare one righteous, not to make one righteous, to declare, to put to one's account, using that same word that Mary Lee was talking about, that's logizomai, that you did that word study on, Mary Lee. It's, what was the word that you used? It's a... Uh, impute. Yeah, impute. It's a, uh, what, what What was the word that you said? Uh, to assign a value. To assign a value. It also, same idea is to put to an account. It's also a banking term. It's like somebody deposited in your checking account an unbelievable amount of money. They put it to your account, and that's what God has done. He's put to our account righteousness. Now, we're going to find out, living the Christian life, he's going to use that same word, Mary Lee. Logizomai in chapter 6. In that context... Yes. And in the chapter 6 context, now it is this idea of drawing out from that account that we have. It's taking that value and now putting it to use. So that's, well, justification comes from that verb form, dikaio. And what I wanted you to notice is the, the justification here resulting in justification in 16. That word there is this fourth word, which is different. Same root, same idea, but it's a different word because Paul is transitioning here. It has more the idea of a righteous deed, or now it's talking about actions, not declarations, but actions, a righteous deed. I gave you this last time. We're still reviewing. That's why we're not going to finish today. <laughs> so it has this idea of, you could even translate it at the end of verse 16, resulting in righteous living, or a righteous life. Not just a declaring, but a process. So now we have another contrast. 16, we have many, one transgression results in judgment. And, by the way, we have a different word here. Well, we have that word, katakrima, and I kind of summarize it there as servitude to sin. That's the sentence. You can't break out of that sentence. You can't break jail here. It's a dictator. Now you're a slave, a servant. 
to sin and death. But the contrast, many transgressions now, in other words, the accumulation results in a, or come, or is dealt with with a free gift. That's the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He doesn't spell it out here because he's already spelled it out in the prior passages in the book of Romans. That free gift now can work itself out. He's not talking about declaring righteous, but he uses that different word. Now we can look at the contrast. Instead of living our life serving sin, now we can live our life in righteousness. See the transition here? Okay. And this is where we left off, so now let's look at verse 17. For if, by he's still contrasting, for if by the transgression of the one, he keeps going back, he keeps repeating, he keeps emphasizing that Adam's sin. And by the way, the reason Adam is held responsible and not Eve is because God gave Adam headship. He's responsible. And his actions are responsible because he followed the sin of the woman. text says he listened to the voice of the woman. I think on many occasions it's good to hear the voice of the woman, especially if she's in tune spiritually. But if she's not in tune, as Eve was not, then you don't. God holds the men at a higher responsibility than he does those under him, the women and children. Okay? This is a concept that goes throughout the Bible. So Adam is the head before the fall, not after. This is the way God set it up. So Adam is held responsible. And because of his sin, all of his descendants experience the imputing of sin. So death reigned. It's the transgression of the one. Death reigned through the one. Product of that was immediate death. In the day that you eat. That's kind of a Hebrew idiom. In other words, the moment. We could even say in our technological age, at the nanosecond, God could have said, the nanosecond that you sin, what? You shall die dead. Infinitive absolute. In other words, you shall die definitely. A definite idea. And we've gone what death is. And by the way, the same idea of death is going to go through chapter 6, 7, and 8 as well. Remember that comprehensive idea. So, death reigned through one. Has anyone in that time frame escaped death? Kind of a trick question. It's a trick question. Did Elijah escape death? Did Enoch escape death? Not in this comprehensive sense. Their death wasn't normal. Yeah. But nonetheless, they were not careful. That's right. Yeah. In the comprehensive sense, Elijah, was he fallen? Was his mind fallen? Did he experience, I mean, there's not much of a record in terms of Enoch, but in terms of his uh, emotions, were they affected? Yeah. Yep. Did he age? Yeah. Now, yeah. Elisha went bald, so yeah. (laughs) But Elijah also aged, so his cells were dying and not replenishing, and so he died 
It, the only difference is he was taken up without his heart stopping and without his breath being taken away. But in the rapture, all of that is changed as well. So no one escaped death. Much more those, now here's the contrast. So by the way, word transgression is that same word that we saw before. So we kind of defined it. It's a violation of a standard. In fact, in this passage, he develops, there's going to be a fourth one that we'll see in the, later on in the passage. So, death reigned through the one much more, and notice throughout the passage, he's emphasizing the greater work of Christ. And it starts right here, much more, give you the Greek there if you want it, those who receive the abundance of grace. This theme is going to start and continue to develop throughout the passages. Perisea, the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Linda? Well, that choice, you know, that, that you could, I think it was, wasn't was present all through the Old Testament. That yeah. one could choose, yeah. somehow that had been offered. It was offered to Adam and Eve. Offer, uh, Adam and Eve were offered a Messiah. Does anybody know where? All of you know where, right? 3.15. Even Linda knows, yeah. 3.15. God promised there that he would solve the issue of sin, and it would come as a from where? The seed of the woman, interestingly. Even though women don't have seed. But what it's looking at, it's almost giving us a hint that it's going to come through a virgin birth thousands of years later. See how interesting it all ties together? So it's from the woman, it's her one of her descendants that's going to solve this issue of sin. That's right after the sin. That's in Genesis 3 again. So the, fall, the fall is in Genesis 3. 3.15 is also in Genesis but 3. But it was offered to David, for instance. Well, it was after that. It was offered to... He was aware of Genesis 3.15, yeah. But not just waiting, but also right then having that. There were many other promises that came along even before David, yes. But it starts in Genesis 3.15. So this abundance of grace that is able to overcome this reign of sin and death is now available to those that submit themselves to this new reign, trusting in him. And it's an abundance. It's available. Those who receive the abundance, and it's not only verse 17, but even going back to verse 15, this much more idea... Much more did the grace of God and the gift of grace. And then it, again, we have the same word, abounded, the verb form, abounded to the many. So he already has given us this idea of abundance. Jeremy, are you twitching? or are you... Oh, no, I'm, I'm diagramming my head. So. Ah, great. <laughs> great. And in, notice in verse 20, probably won't get that far today, but the law came in so that transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace Super abounded. You could translate it that way. Notice it has the hooper perisoeo. Remember the other ones just had the perisoeo. This one has the super with it. You could even translate it super abounded. The English doesn't reflect, or at least the New American Standard doesn't reflect, doesn't reflect it, but it translates it the same as the other. But in fact, if you do a word study on it, you're going to find that it has this idea of superabundance. 
So grace superabounded all the more. So the resource that is available is a superabounding grace that is greater than the servitude and the dictatorship of sin. So back to verse 17, much more, those who receive, here's the volition part. In other words, everyone has the reign of sin and death. In other words, there's no escaping it. Once you're, in fact, you are conceived in sin, Psalm, what, 19 is it? Even conceiving, we are, we have genetic makeup. The entire genetic makeup at conception. That's why people that are pro, pro-life believe that life begins at conception because you have all of the genetic information to make a full-blown human, human being. And you just have development from the moment one sperm cell fertilizes an egg cell, you have a human being. That's why this issue is so prevalent today is because pro-lifers believe that. And so also we would say at that moment of fertilization, sin is passed on. Just like blue eyes or yellow skin or whatever or it's passed on. At that moment, sin is passed on. That's why there had to have been a virgin birth, that it not be passed on. Okay, those who receive the abundance. So the receiving here, Paul is assuming that you understand what he's already talked about, about justification. In other words, it comes by trusting in Jesus Christ. Those who receive the abundance of grace in Christ and the gift of righteousness. Remember, justification has two things, forgiveness of sin and this gift of righteousness will reign in life. We can live under a new rulership, a new king, you might say. Rule in life through the one, and who is the king? Who is the one? Jesus Christ. But it doesn't just say we'll be under him. Reign. With, yeah. That's why it's super abundant. Now it's looking comprehensively again. It starts by little steps of growth, but it can move to a reign. In other words, you can have an impact and you can have rulership and you can rule. And it's going to be ultimately manifested in the millennial kingdom where we'll have a position of rulership. Mary Lee. So, just sort of summing this. So, we have one man and woman. They despise the gift of the relationship with God. And they choose their own way and that completely wipes out I mean, because they chose that, then there is running now in their very genes, in their DNA, yep. a rejection of God. Yep. But God promised to them, I'm gonna, I am going to change this. I'm going to restore what you threw away. Or I'm gonna make provision for well, it. Well, yes. It, it, he's making provision for that in the future. So those who receive, so we have the death coming through Adam and Eve, but even during that time, there were those who could look and say, okay, God promised that he is going to heal, restore what was broken. And so I believe that rather than trying to power through life just because I know how to make life work, and so by my own efforts, I'm going to just power through myself. Right. 
So even then, they were receiving this gift that had not yet come, the superabundant gift. They were receiving the superabundant gift, and so they did have an abundance of grace upon their lives. And so then now that we are past the point where this restoration has been revealed to us, we we still have the choice because that DNA still runs in, in us. So we still have the choice. It's just clearer now in a lot of ways. Well, we have two options now. Before, we didn't have any other option. But they had the option to, to believe in this yeah. that was coming. Yeah. But once they believed, then they have a second option. Right. So now, because the gift has been revealed to us, we do have a choice as to powering through on our own just because we know how to make life work. Right. Right. Or, uh, and a lot of people try to live the Christian life in that way, and they end up in chapter 7 of Romans. Yeah. Or we can go ahead and have this super abundant gift, grace and the gift of righteousness that transforms how we now... Moment by moment, yes. It's a more moment by moment thing than before the gift was really revealed. Is that... Yep. Yep. Yeah, exactly what I was saying. Thank you. I'm getting English major. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, David had regeneration. Yes. Read the Psalms. You, you can see he had a heart attitude. He had a relationship. He still sinned. He still went back to the old David as well, you, you might say. But, I mean, you can see that even in, in the life of a saint, even in a Billy Graham, there may be moments where yeah. he is tired and he has a little bit of temper tantrum because his tea is hot or cold or kitty party because whatever. So mm-hmm. we still have, I mean, that is part of this DNA that is still in Yes, us. yes. That's why we have two capacities, you might say, two natures. Yeah, that's what yeah. six, seven, and eight are going to deal with. Okay, okay. All right. so just hang in there. Yep, hang in there. Much more those who receive the abundance of grace, we already looked at that, this abounding of grace, and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So we already kind of looked at that when I was emphasizing the abounding aspect to it. So what Christ accomplished is more and greater than what Adam plunged humanity into. That's why Christ is the only way. There are not a lot of ways to God. There's only one way. Because no other way deals with the a, issue. A, a, a poverty, a poverty situation rather than having grace, uh, abundance of grace and abundance of grace. Having wealth available. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So 17, we have the one transgression leading to this reign of death, which is the same idea as this servitude of sin, which is the same idea of death in a comprehensive sense. And then the one, the other one, the one with a capital one, we have an abundant gift of righteousness. But it's put to our account. You have to go draw it out of the account. That's what we'll see in 6, 7, and 8. And that can produce a reign in life. In other words, now it's not us reigning, but what? Christ in us. 
Christ in us, living the Christian life, Galatians 2.20, several others as well. But you can live a different life. It's not automatic, and it's not immediate, but you can grow to a point of maturity. So you have gone from having no options to having options. To having options, and tremendous options, a wealth of options. It gives you freedom in your life, rather than being stuck on a single track. Exactly. Exactly. So 18 through 21, we have the reign of grace from the one, where he's going to emphasize the grace aspect more, transitioning into chapter 6. Verse 18, we have the results of the two acts. He's still contrasting, and on your outline sheet, I run the contrast through there as well. So now, we've gone through 15 and 17, and he's going to go back to verse 12. The just as, now he's going to go to verse 18. So then, even so, this now is true, but it's true only in Christ. And he's going to talk about this reign of grace from one man's righteousness. He's going to talk about the results. It's going to result in a different way of living. So then, there we have it, as through one transgression, he's summarizing at the beginning, picking up verse 12. He's kind of reiterating what he started in verse 12 and reminding us because he's kind of gone off on, I don't want to call it a tangent, but he's gone on on an excursion, you might say. So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men, kind of a summary of all that he said before, a summary of 12 through 17. Even so, now this is where he's moving. This is what he wants to get at. And just talk about that. Even so, through one act of righteousness. What is that one act? Crucifixion, more than likely. Now, some scholars take it as his whole life, but it's singular. So I'm inclined to see it as a contrast of what Christ did on the cross in contrast to what Adam did it was, in sin. I would say it would have been his acknowledging the Father's rule over his life in the garden. Because Adam sinned in the garden, and Christ said, okay. And having done that, he followed through, but he said, okay, Father, not my will, but yours. Right. For Adam and Eve said, uh, not your will, but mine. Exactly. Yeah, yep. choice. Yeah, the choice was made. Instead of the choice. Yep. Yeah, the choice was made in the garden, like you say, but it was worked out on the cross. Well, I know, but see. Yep. The choice, two choices. There was two choices. Two choices. Yep. But he's talking about the one act. Right. Which was. So, when it talks about the transgression, it's talking about this act. In other words, the eating of the fruit in disobedience as opposed to the going to the cross, and the whole process of the crucifixion. Well, the, the process follows the choice. Yes. Yep. Through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life. Now he adds Zoe. Some of you have named your daughter Zoe from the Greek Zoe for life. It's justification of life. In other words, it's it's going to result in this right way of living, this righteous way of living. Righteous living. See the transition here. And the to all men, it's available to all men, and Christ paid the penalty for all men on the cross. But Paul is assuming that you understand that not everybody trusts in Christ. So the all men, and this is not uncommon in the Bible, this is not absolute all men, but there's many places in Scripture that speaks 
in this way, using the word all, the Greek word that you have there, in a limited sense. And I think Paul has been working logically, assuming that you're listening or reading and following along. So when he's talking about this resulted in justification of life to all men, he doesn't have to, he's trying to keep the contrast. And by the way, the the Greek throughout this is very succinct, very tight. A lot of words are left out that the translators have to insert. So this resulting to all men is limited to those that he's already specified in verse 17, those who receive, in other words, those that believe, those that have received regeneration, justification, salvation, however you want to put it, born again. Okay, Connie? You said the word justification in this verse was in form. Yes, justification of life. That last one, number four. Mm-hmm. But it adds the of life, especially. Which one is it? Fourth one. You said that was in verse 16. You said verse 18. Because verse 16 was a righteous good work or action. I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. So but the, the addition of the life, you have it there, Jeremy? Well, this one's dikaos. Which I don't know which one. Yeah, dikaos. Dikaos. Sunai. Yeah, it is S-I-N. Let me look it up. Yeah. Let me look it up. I'll give it to you next week. So you have to wait a whole week. <laughs> Or you can look it up yourself. <laughs> but the key here is a justification of living or of life. This idea, he, he's transitioning to working it out, everyday living. The result of justification of life to all men. And what I'm stressing here, this all men is, is a, a limited idea. So let's close with the, the uh, contrast that we have here. One transgression, he's reminding us, leads to condemnation of all men. And he's emphasizing the alternative, the one act of righteousness leads to justification of life, and it's for the benefit, or it's available to all men. Make sense? So we'll pick up in verse 19, where he's going to expand upon that, and next week we'll finish the passage. We're going to find out as we get into chapter 6, and we'll be a little bit into it in the last verses of chapter 5, the key to living the Christian life is in this reign of grace. How do we access that? It's already in your bank account, but how do you draw from it? How do you draw it out? Who wants to close for us? Heavenly Father, we just are so grateful that uh, that you are showing this. This was written so that we would understand the riches and glory that we have Christ Jesus. It's not just words or, or or philosophical arguments that we can sit around and contemplate. But these are written so that we might have life and have this overabundant, superabundant life that you promised us. So I pray as we go out this day that we will remember that you have given us overcoming power. We are no longer chained to the way of life that we inherited from the first father, but now we have a new way of life offered to us that we can choose to take. This is Eve, and Adam and Eve chose to walk away. We can choose to walk toward. And Father, we thank you for that incredible gift. We give you praise on and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.